It's Locked on NBA. I'm David Locke. Today, the coach. Love the coach coming on the show. NBA coach comes on the show anonymously, gives us the inside scoop. We'll talk about some of the hottest teams in the league, what he's seeing, and we'll talk about the coaching difference between pick and rolls, handoffs, pitches, and how it's impacting defenses from a coach's standpoint. So it should be kind of awesome uh, to get you all that. Today's show is brought to you by SeatGeek. Use the promo code LOCKED and get your $20 rebate after your first purchase. It's also Draft Wednesday on the Lockdown Podcast Network, so join us for the daily fantasy drafts every Wednesday. Promo code is LONBA. You get $3 voucher on your first deposit, and that is going on with the daily fantasy snake drafts that are super fun. Tip of the hat, Peter Edmondson, host of Lockdown Grizzlies, covered the David Fisdale story top to bottom. Amazing work on that. Every Monday, we give you the biggest stories, local experts, and we now have an NBA-designated Twitter follow for you, Locked on NBA Net, Locked on NBA Net for you. Please follow that to get all the insight from all of our great hosts across the Locked on Podcast Network. Here's the coach. You are Locked on the NBA, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Coach, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Crazy, crazy opening part of the season. There's a lot of different things about this team specifically. But I sent out a tweet last night after the Denver-Utah game, and I, I wanted to see your thoughts. And, and I know you well enough that you'll tell me when you think I'm full of it. Uh, and that's the beauty of it. But I said the number one story in the Western Conference for the next five years, and maybe this is ignoring the Warriors too much, is whether or not Jokic and Carl Anthony Towns can defend well enough to win. They're brilliant offensively, but right now both of them are really poor defensively. No, that's a. I mean, it, it, it's a it's a narrative that I'm sure both coaching staffs are uh, spending a lot of time on, and yeah, their, their numbers would prove that they haven't um, as good as they are offensively. Uh, you know, they haven't taken that next step. Uh, you know, to to being a great player and taking the next level uh, at being a uh, you know a defender. And um, you know, the one thing about uh, Jokic is he, he and, and actually Towns too. They're both really good rebounders. Uh, you know, and sometimes people just look at that and say they're good defenders. Well, if you get into the nuts and bolts of it and watch both of them, they both have a ways to go uh, in order to you know really take their game to the next level. Now, granted, they're already really really good players. I mean, what you understand what we're talking now is. You know, they're, it's now trying to go to that next elite level. Right. Yeah, hey, it's the, they're two of the great – they're the modern-day offensive big that's, that's remarkable. But because they're the modern-day offensive big, they also have to defend it 20 feet. And uh, I'm not sure that either of them are particularly good at that. Well, they haven't proven to be just yet. Um, and a lot of it's going to come down to the environment that they're in with their organization, you know, their coaching staff. Um, but, but honestly, both of them have the athletic ability and are gifted enough to be good defenders. So in my opinion, just as years and years of coaching, um, it does come down to the environment you're in, and then it comes down to whether you have the ability to do it or not. But then the, the most important probably is the care factor. And obviously without being on those staffs and um, you know, being with those guys every day, uh, you know, defense is a skill just like shooting, and you have to work at it in order to get better. And if they have a care factor, because in my opinion they have the other two things, uh, then they will get better. Um, so we'll just have to see. I mean, they're both you know still young guys, um, still trying to you know. I mean, they, they have an identity in the league, uh, but I think if you ask both of them and all their coaching staffs, 
they they want to have a better identity. It'll just be interesting to see where the care factor is to see how how much more they grow. Just through experience, they're going to grow some just because they're so good. But, you know, to go to that next elite level and to be able to carry a team and be a total difference maker in your entire organization, not just a really, really good player, uh, their care factor on the defensive end will have to – you know, continue to help them improve. The crazy one, when you think about these bigs, I think is you got to go right to Detroit and Andre Drummond. Right? Andre Drummond <laughs> seemed like the most disconnected player in the league for the last few years. Uh, I've got pretty good sourcing that tells me that, and I think everyone does at this point, Detroit was pretty willing to move Drummond. He's a force right now, like a force. What have they done in Detroit to re-engage him and to bring him around? You know, obviously, without being an organization, I don't. You know, I can't pinpoint to to one thing. I think it. You know, it, it, it's kind of we we start on this topic because we talked about the other two young guys, um, and you know, granted, they're more offensive skilled than Drummond is, but their path is similar, right? Drummond's always, you know, you see flashes of brilliance, but yet you want more, you want more, you know. And uh, you know, now this year he's turned the corner. So I would go back a little bit to my, you know, maybe he's matured. You know, people seem to forget that, you know, most of us when we lived through our 20s, you know, we, we weren't the most focused and dedicated people either. We thought we knew what, you know, we we were young. We thought we knew we were good at certain things and things were going to be easy. Well, you know, it was the maturation process. And Drummond's been in the league now for a few years. Um, and he realized in order to be great, I've, you know, I've got, to, I've got to be more complete player. And you talk about turning the corner. He's really turned the corner. I mean, there, there's some other reasons why Detroit's been good, but – uh, you know, he's just incredible. He's averaging, what, 16 rebounds a game and uh, 14 points a game, and his free throws are improved. And, and the, 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 the cool thing about him and people, you know, even us coaches and NBA people, is all of a sudden he's shown that he's a good passer. So uh, I think, you know, once again, he has the talent. Uh, you know, we all have a different learning process and a different learning curve. Some people, some people it just takes a little bit of he really has been exciting to watch this year, and and it's got to be really exciting for their organization to to take a guy who maybe you were willing to part with because he hadn't shown the discipline and the care factor to get better, and then all of a sudden he kind of grows up as a human being and finds that. And now, I mean, he could be a, a, a you know a difference maker for years to come in this in this league. All right, I'm going to give you one of my numbers things, and I need you as the coach to kind of explain it to me, and then. Uh, see if it impacts us. So last year, Detroit ran 22 handoffs per 100 possessions. This year, they're running 42. By far the most in the league. Like next is Chicago at 36 and then Philly at 35. Like So they, they've gone from 22 handoffs a game to 42. A lot of them are drumming, frankly. What what is that do? What is that? How much is that? Is that the quantum change Detroit has made here? I mean, if you look at uh, Drummond, I think leads the league in handoffs. They've engaged him. He and Tobias Harris. He and Avery Bradley. He and Reggie Jackson. What is that doing to Detroit? That is that is maybe the reason they've changed so much. You know, you know, David. I I, I don't know as a coach. Um, I know this. I know us coaches do what's working. Um, so it may not necessarily be the fact that they've had that big a jump as that was an intended thing, but yet if it's working, they're going to probably do it more. Um, and they, they've added some shooting to that team. You know, Avery Bradley, uh, is, you know, is a good shooter. Um, so, you know, then they got the, uh, the kid from Duke that it's a shooter. So I think they may be just doing more of what's working for them. Um, but it goes back to what we talked about earlier is Drummond has become 
a facilitator. You know, he gets the ball a lot of times now on the block and they're, or excuse me, on the elbow or even at the uh, top of the key, you know, and he, and he's swinging the ball and changing directions and get involved in the, in the, uh, in the, in the, in the goes. And, you know, so I think that his, his involvement in being able to do that uh, along with their adding the shooting component uh, is really helping, um, you know, that team grow. So I would say it's probably more a product of just it's working um, as opposed to, I mean, I'm sure it's a conscious thing because it's working, but, uh, you know, I don't know, obviously, without being on their staff, knowing that they went into the season going, oh, we've got to be a DHO team, right? <laughs> so, because if they did go into the season thinking they're going to be a DH, DHO team and it wasn't working, then they probably would be doing something else. So, I think it's more of a product of uh, how they're playing and, and their, their personnel and they're shooting the ball great. Um, it's probably why they're having more DHOs as opposed to this year from last year. The thing that I've noticed watching them is the drum. It used to be it felt like, oh, we'll give Drummond his customary post-up to open the game and maybe a second one if we're really generous. And then he would just, like, disengage from the game as though, like, oh, well, now I know I'm not going to touch the ball again. And now he seems so much more engaged. There are coaches out there who believe if I get my guys to just touch the ball, they don't have to actually shoot. They actually just touch the ball, feel it. They'll be more engaged, particularly on the defensive end. What's your thought on that theory? Um, You say there are some coaches. I would say it's most coaches. Okay. you know, and once again, the NBA is evolving, right? You know, we, we used to have the old NBA where we threw the ball on the block. Um, in teams that had great block players, that was not an issue. Uh, but then a lot of times you had defensive bigs and they stood on the block and they never got the ball. And they, as the game would go on, they would get less and less engaged. So to your point, yes, Drummond used to kind of be that block guy. Um, where all they did was give him a post up about once a quarter. And, you know, then, you know, as the game would go on, he'd kind of get disengaged. Well, now, you know, to Coach Van Gundy and his staff's credit, um, you know, and they had to see something that, that Drummond can be a, a bit of a passer and a facilitator. You know, now they play him out on the elbow more, and he gets involved in the plays. And one thing they found out of that is, I'm sure they had an inkling of it, but he is a good facilitator. He's a good DHO guy. He's a good passer. He's averaging almost four assists a game. Um, you know, so, and just like anything else in life, if you're engaged and you've got skin in the game, you know, you're going to do other things, right? I mean, and that's where... You know, he's, you know, he's really blossomed in game. So it's, I think it's a, you know, a, it started with probably the coaches, uh, you know, maybe seeing that he could, he could do this a little bit and then them having the trust and faith to put him out there. And then all of a sudden he's doing it. And now it's just made everybody else around him better. I mean, he's, I mean, he, I mean, there's other reasons why, I mean, obviously the Detroit's playing well, but I mean, you got to look at him as his involvement of this as being the number one reason why they are. All right. Let's get into a little coaching stuff here. There seem to be three things going on in most offenses right now. There's the old-school pick-and-roll that dominated the league. Teams are evolving. The dribble handoffs become a bigger deal in the last three or four years. And now we're seeing what I would call more pitch action. Uh, some teams do it more than others. Walk me through what, the difference between the three, from maybe from a defensive standpoint, or what is it that you're exploiting offensively and why are teams go? Why, why do you become a DHO team versus a pick and roll team? For example, Denver is very much you know a, a handoff team rather than a pick and roll team. What, what is the? What are you looking at when when you're kind of either pick and roll, dribble handoff, or this kind of new tossing the ball rather than ever coming to complete connection? So, so for for years and years and years, um, the the easiest way to get. A, a shot in basketball, even before it became the really cool thing to do in the last four or five years, uh, is just a simple pick and roll. You can space guys. You can put your two best players in a pick and roll. 
and you're going to more than likely get a shot. It's the hardest thing to defend. Um, you're going to more than likely get a shot. You know, the old John Stock and Carl Malone days, you know, they, you know, they were kind of ahead of the curve on pick and roll and, you know, they would stay in there, the old Mark Eaton, and he would stand in the upper uh, left quadrant and those two guys would run pick and roll and you'd, you'd, they would get a good shot and they were an efficient offense. Well, the NBA is unbelievable. You have the best coaches in the world. You have the best players in the world. You know, the NBA is a trending game, right? So pick and roll gets more and more involved. They change the rules a little bit, make it even harder to defend pick and roll. So then all of a sudden you get, what, in the last seven, eight years, pick and roll becomes a huge part of the game. Um, and now everybody now is not just running, you know, 20 pick and rolls a game. You know, some teams are running up to 60 and 70 pick and rolls a game. Well, the game, is, once again, has great coaches, has great players. Uh, you eventually start to figure it out. So what comes next, in my opinion, is, you know, a, a DHO, a dribble handoff, is very similar to a pick and roll, except for you usually have the big handling to initiate it. But it actually is the same action if you think about it, um, except for the guard doesn't have the ball to start. The big has it to start, and you get the same thing, right? He pitches it to the guard. The guard comes off. The big rolls to the basket, and hopefully you get the roll or the pop. And now you got the guard in a situation where he has a, hopefully an opportunity to make a play, right? Well, so that evolved from the pick and roll, and more and more teams start doing it. There's DHOs, there's DHOs, there's DHOs. I don't know the exact numbers, but I would guess if you look from seven or eight years ago to now, the amount of DHOs in a game, it's probably up 500 to 700% in a game, right? Because it's evolving because teams figure out the pick and roll a little bit. Teams start to figure out the DHO a little bit. And now what comes next? Because once again, it's a great thing going to an NBA arena every night and watching this stuff evolve is so now you got the little pitch action because teams have gotten so good at guarding the, the pick and roll. Um, you know, teams, you know, now when they work a defensive component in practice, I would guess that, the, you know, if there's, let's just say there's 30 minutes of a defensive component in practice, I would get that at least half of that is guarding the pick and roll and how you do it in an individual situation or a team situation, but then on the weak side situation. So as, as defense evolves, offense has to evolve. And so now we're getting into this where we're back to the ball handler having the ball, the guard having the ball. And instead of running a traditional pick and roll, he now just pitches it to the big and runs right towards the big and gets the ball off. So instead of dribbling into it, he now pitches it and gets it right back. And now what do we have? We have the same action as a pick and roll. So it's just kind of a natural give and take on, um, one, it's the easiest way to get a shot in offensive basketball. Um, you know, so in, it's the defense is caught up. The offense has evolved. The defense has caught up. The offense has evolved. I mean, that's kind of where we are now. And actually, it, it lends towards some beautiful, beautiful actions. Um, just watching the NBA game, you know, it's more and more free-flowing now, and it's so much more fun to watch. Um, you know, I guess the old traditionalists maybe not would agree with this, but just the casual fan to the, to the, to the coach, even to the players, it's more fun for them to play because there's some flow to it and rhythm to it. Um, and it, it's what's making, you know, NBA basketball so cool to watch and why it's, you know, it's, the interest is at an all-time high. So, there's your long-winded evolution of how we've gotten to the little pitch and, and, and handoff <laughs> to this point. Well, I, I like it. I actually I, I want I have a theory I'm going to throw at you and, and see what you think. Before I do that, let me tell you that today is Draft Wednesday on the Locked On Podcast Network. Super fun. All across the network, we're playing Draft. Draft is a daily fantasy game 
that allows you to draft each and every game. Instead of the salary cap, you do snake drafts. So fun. You pick one center, two forwards, two guards. Ten games going on tonight. We'll be doing one. I'll actually have one if you catch this already. We'll be drafting at 245. Use the promo code LONBA and you'll get a $3 voucher for after your first deposit. And you can play our game for free then, basically. But join in. Grab four or five friends. Grab three friends. Grab one friend. Go one-on-one. You can set each of your draft so that you can say how many players you want in it, how much time in your draft, you can set it for a time, and how much money you want each draft to be. Super fun, then, it's a snake draft for daily fantasy. You can also do it for football, so if you're like me and had Deshaun Watson and your season shot, you can keep going doing football. Download the app on either Apple or Android or go to draft.com. You can play draft. Promo code is LONBA to get in. Join our games as we have the Locked On NBA channel, actually, and NFL channel drafts going on all day long. It's a Wednesday draft day. So Mike D'Antoni came out with seven seconds or less a while back, brought the European game over from his times in Italy, spread out the floor, and absolutely had everybody running around like the Coyote in the Roadrunner cartoon. Like, oh, my gosh, what do you do? Don't know how to guard it. Eventually, Mm -hmm. enough teams started doing it that everyone figured out how to guard it. Right. I mean, yeah. I think that and then he struggled in New York and L.A. somewhat due to his stars, but also the rest of the league was now doing it and everyone saw it. And they and the league's so great, to your point, that both this evolution happens offensively, and defensively. Has the same thing begun to happen with what I what I would call the ice? You know, we talked all the, that that ice defense that everyone talks about that was such a big deal f- probably eight, nine, ten years ago. Is the same thing happened with that? Where the evolution now the uh, the defenses have gotten ahead of the offenses, and so, or excuse me, the offenses have gotten ahead of the defenses, and so that those, there's now an answer to that. Do you think? Okay, so so to your point, right? We have the greatest players in the NBA and the greatest coaches in the NBA, and you know the ice to keep the pick and roll on one side of the floor. So, in that, you know, in, in for the for the casual fan out there, if if you run a regular pick and roll, typically. It starts on the sideline and would come to the middle, and it opens up the entire floor. Well, ice to the, the once again the casual fan is so defensive evolved to where they decided, okay, pick and roll is very hard to guard, so let's just keep the ball on one side of the floor. So you take away, you know, opening up the entire court, and you just try to keep it on the same side, right? So um, what is happening back to your point about the pitch is that you know as teams have figured it out, and you're exactly right because you know almost every team in the league now. Uh, does some form of icing uh, or uh, you know, bluing, they call it, the, the pick and roll, trying to keep it on the side. Well, to your point earlier is the pitch now has come out of that. Defender tries to keep you from going in the middle. I can now just throw it over to the big, and then I can shimmy off of him, and I can get back to the middle. So that is uh, the evolution of where the pitch has come. So, yes, uh, that, that, we're in an era where – the ice is becoming less and less effective. And, and me as a coach, it's been interesting you bring this up because I've been saying this for about a year or more now, and I'm really trying to study it and come up with, with my own idea is, you know, at some point it's going to go back and there's going to be something different. And I don't know what it's going to be. You know, it's a little bit evolved to the switches now. Almost everybody's switching, um, you know, but there's going to be something where do, do we go back to hedging because three-point shooting has become so good, um, you know, and then all of a sudden that becomes uh, because once we talked about and kind of the theme of this conversation so far is, you know, there's ebbs and flows in the offense and defense, um, you know, and now the offense is 
figured out that, you know, we can do the little pitch to get over the top and open up the floor um, and bring everybody back into the play. You know, so what happens now defensively? You know, it's it's like, kind of like check and checkmate. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where it comes from that. And, and I think there's, you know, 30 coaching staffs, you know, all across the NBA who's trying to get ahead of that trend and figure out what will give you the edge to get you to the next point. Probably what D'Antoni did you know, several years ago. All right, so we're 20 games through the season. I, I always love this because actually there's all sorts of indicators that we now have a sample size that this is right. I want to ask you, if I look at the top of the differential ratings, which the Warriors are one, Rockets are two, Raptors are three, Celtics four, Blazers are five, Spurs six, Thunder are seven, Wizards eight, Pacers nine, Jazz ten, Pistons we talked about are 11, Cavaliers up and coming are at 12. So let, let's... I want to ask you about some of these teams at the top. Pelicans are at 13. I want to ask you about some of these teams at the tops, if you've seen them, and what you're seeing out of them. The Toronto Raptors are the number one differential team in the Eastern Conference right now. Third best offense, ninth best defense. I loved them earlier this year when I saw them. Have you seen the Raptors? What are you seeing from them, and how legitimate is the idea that they're maybe the best team in the Eastern Conference? Um, I, I, I think it's legitimate. I mean, obviously with the Cleveland Cavaliers and the way Boston has started, I, at this point it would be hard for me to, to say they are. I, I think they're in a good place. Um, you know, I think their two stars are getting along. Serge Ibaka has had a really good year, by the way. And, you know, some people were a little skeptical of where he was in his career, but he's really helped them to have a good career or a good start. Um, and, uh, you know, and they've, they've tried to be a little less ISO-oriented and a little, little more team-oriented. Um, I think they were exposed to that um, kind of in their year last year, that they needed to get away from just watching DeRozan or watching Lowry play. So they've really made an effort um, to you know, try to play more of a, a team, move the ball type style. And it's, I think it's p- provided uh, you know, a much more efficient off- offense for them to start the year. Uh, and truth be told, most coaches would say that that would also help you win in the playoffs as well. So, uh, yeah, they've evolved. Around. Plus, they, they've had some um, – you know, some young guys, uh, you know, the Potal, uh, you know, has really played well for them. They've had some young guys step up for them uh, and play really, really well. Uh, so I, I'm not ready to say they're the, the best team in the East, but don't forget now, they've been a, a contender in the East for, what, three or four years now. So, uh, you know, it's, it, I think they probably would say they're in a good place because they're hanging around at the third or fourth spot. Um, and everybody's talking about all this other stuff, and they're kind of quietly playing good basketball. They're the third best shooting team in the league. They have the third best effective field goal percentage in the league. Are they, are they hot or are they that good a shooting team? Uh, well, I think a lot of it has to do with Sergeant Pocket playing really well, um, and uh, and they have two really, really, really good players. Um, as you're going to find, Evan, I've seen this, um, and there's some other teams that are playing well now and shooting ball well. I mean, obviously Orlando's falling off the cliff a little bit, but. They were shooting an unbelievable rate. Indiana Pacers are shooting an, an, an unbelievable rate. And I've seen this through my years in the NBA is, yes, you start to get an idea of who a team is after 20 games. But as far as the shooting component, teams who are really, really, really shooting the ball well, I think you get a better picture when you get 40 games into it as far as the shooting component. And there's a lot of teams who are really shooting the ball well right now. So I think you'll have a better idea if these teams can sustain it once we get to the 40-game point as opposed to the 20-game point. I think teams have their identity at the 20-game point. They have a much better sample size. Uh, but the shooting component to me, because you're getting ready to get – you're not to the dog days, but the newness is over. You know, you're, getting in, you're getting into the harder part of the schedule now. Uh, the travel starts to wear on you a little more. 
um, and it'll be interesting. Now, the one X factor in that is, to me, and I, I don't have the answer, but I'm very intrigued to see, is you know when they started the season a, a week earlier, there's less, or no, there's no games, four games in five nights. There's less back-to-backs. Will the shooting component be uh, the X factor in that? And when we will we not see as big a drop off from game 20 to 40 in in players and team shooting as we have in the past? So to me, I'm, I'm you know that's a little bit of purist, maybe a little bit too deep what I'm talking about there. But it's going to be interesting to see where we go from that in the next 20 games as far as these teams shooting the ball. Uh, uh, interesting. Uh, I don't know if you've seen them. But you mentioned them. The Pacers are the fifth-best offensive team in the league, the sixth-best shooting team in the league. They're the, they have the ninth-best differential, which puts them as the fourth-best in the East behind Toronto, Boston, Washington, with Cleveland Link, and Detroit lingering. <clears throat> what, is, is, is this real? What's, what's happening with Indiana? And, and evidently Oladipo and Sabonis for uh, Paul George is not the worst trade ever in the history of the NBA. Uh, what, what, what's, well, you know, what's, I, have you seen the, them? The, the one – I, you know, I haven't seen them. I saw them in the preseason, so I haven't seen them um, in the regular season. I've had a bit of an opportunity to watch them a little bit on uh, film. Um, but I, here's what they did. One, they had less expectations. Like you said, they're, they're shooting the ball at an unbelievable clip. We'll be interesting to see, you know, this next 20 games will be a little bit of a telltale if they can continue to shoot it that way. But think about what they added um, in, in Sabonis and Oladipo. Both of them are obviously having career years. But they they added – good basketball players you know they're they're not really just one trick ponies both of them have you know different components to their game and the thing that people don't realize i I say the casual person doesn't realize um is both of them have toughness both of them have an unbelievable care factor um now they're having great offensive years you know for both of them but they have a care factor so you added two guys younger guys you know, who Oladipo's now on his third team. Sabonis got traded, you know, and um, you know, they got something to prove a little bit. So uh, I think that is a big part of it. They added two really good players, and I think the expectations are off them a little bit. And now they're just playing the right way and going to play. Um, but once again, that their team is shooting it so well. It'll be interesting to see if they can hold that up over this next stretch of games. If I told you 20 games into the season that Portland would be 27th in the league in shooting, 29th in assist to turnover, 30th in assist ratio, you would have told me I was crazy. I thought Terry Stotts was an offensive genius. Is he a defensive genius now? Like, because they're the third. Like, what is going on in Portland? If you told me they were going to be the third best offense in 21st ranked defense, I'm buying it. But the third best defense in the 21st ranked offense, I never would have seen this coming. And no, I, um, I don't say I never. Um, I, I have had a chance to see them a few times, and uh, not obviously. I know some of their staff pretty well. And um, I know that that was a huge – has been personnel-wise because they know they've got good offensive guys. Um, that's been a, a, a focus of theirs for the last year, year and a half, is they're trying to figure out how to turn a corner and you know not just be a middle-of-pack team. And um, you know, whether you like Nurkic or not, you know, he, he brings a physicality to them. What's interesting about them is they're really good at protecting the rim, which – uh, you know, a year ago at the beginning of the year and the year before that, they were just awful protecting the rim. Um, you know, so they, they've evolved that way. Uh, you know, they've got some, um, you know, some tough guys. Um, Von Lay is, you know, kind of a tough guy. Um, you know, so they, they've added, they, they've added some pieces to help to that. Now, the scary thing is, is like, if I, yeah, I may be off the percentage or two, but, you know, Dave Mullard, who's just been a lights out three point shooter for his whole career, I think he's only shooting like 31% from three point line. 
Um, you know, so is you you kind of have a feeling that the offense will evolve and get better. Um, so they could be a little bit scary. Um, you know, and I don't ready to say they're going to contend for the West. But, you know, they could be a little bit scary if they figure out the offensive thing. Because I agree, Terry Stotts is going to put guys in a good spot, and they they play free free flowing and will be good offensively at some point. So if they can maintain this defensive uh, integrity they have, which they put a huge focus on in trying to turn the corner. Um, you know, they're going to be a team that's not going to be an easy out for some of these uh, power teams in the West. They have played, I believe, the easiest schedule in the NBA, but there's maybe one of the most untalked about things in this league is beating bad teams. There's a huge value to winning those games. Uh, everyone kind of dismisses it, who's your good wins against, but winning winning games against bad teams is, is, is worth uh, a great deal. Reminder for you, today's show also brought to you by SeatGeek. Use the promo code LOCKED on your first purchase, and you'll get a $20 rebate from SeatGeek. Why SeatGeek? Because it's the easiest place to buy tickets to any event in hometown, on the road, wherever it might be. Download the app. You're going to do it on your phone. Now, all of the people that sell tickets are compiled into one spot for you. I remember I used to have a guy in downtown Salt Lake City, and I have to go see him, but I had to trust, once he knew me as a customer, that he'd always give me the best price. And I always have to go check other people to make sure he really was. No longer. Now SeatGeek has all the prices for all the tickets in one spot for you. Secondarily, they be able to put a, a uh, seat ranking on every single seat there for you. So it tells you its ticket score of whether that ticket score is good or bad, good deals, best deals. And finally, it's secured when it comes to your phone. So download the app right now. Enter, go to settings tab. Enter in the promo code LOCKED. You'll get a $20 rebate on your first purchase. You can also set price alerts to upcoming events and monitor what's going on with all those. SeatGeek, promo code LOCKED. Thanks so much for their support of the Locked On Podcast Network. Have you, what's your, where, where's Oklahoma City? What's your feeling? I'll give you, let me give you my premise. I listen to every okay. commentator. It's like the default position is, well, they'll figure it out. I, I'm not totally sold on that. I had them before they acquired Carmelo. I thought they were going to be the number one or two defensive team in the league. And I thought they were going to be about the eighth or ninth best offensive team in the league. And they were going to be great. I picked them, I think, second in the West. The minute they added Carmelo's inefficiency and lack of ball movement, I put them down to sixth in the West. Because I thought they would then be about 20th offensively. Russell's not an efficient player. And, sec- and, and and maybe not as good defensively. They're actually better than I thought they were going to be, at least ranking-wise. They're still the second-best defensive team in the league, and boy, when they defend, do they ever defend. But I'm not entirely understanding of the default position of every broadcaster out there. Well, it's just when the Thunder figured out. Like, I don't know what they're actually figuring out. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what people yeah. are talking about to that. So... So to your point is, um, I, I just as a you know as a coach and as an MBA, uh, I don't say connoisseur, but a guy that studies the NBA, um, with the Chris Paul going to Houston during the summer, I thought that uh, Houston was going to be the most intriguing team to watch. Maybe not the best, maybe not the funnest, most intriguing, just to see how that whole thing evolves. And then a week before training camp starts, Oklahoma City trades for Carmelo Anthony. Well, Houston ob- automatically gets trumped. Um, because you put the personalities, the style of play, you know, you, those, those three guys together. Uh, and one thing they also did is they totally depleted their bench, by the way, and they're, they're great. But yet, you know, so a big part of the NBA is having a little bit of depth, and they, you know, they don't have nearly as, uh, that much depth and, uh, to, to, to deal with now. So that, that's part of their component where they struggled. 
But then the most intriguing team to watch, whether it's going to be good, bad, the train wreck, the, the rocket taking off, whatever it is, to me is the Oklahoma City Thunder. And they haven't disappointed to this point. Um, I haven't had a chance to see them lately. I saw them a couple times early. Um, and uh, you could see they're making an effort to try to play together. Um, the thing that to me is when you have three alpha dogs who, like I said, you can argue whether they're all you know, elite players, but are they efficient players? Um, but to me, the thing is that I thought they were really working hard to try to play together early in the season and figure it out. Once again, I haven't seen a lot lately, but one of the things that is, is an issue when you have those type of personalities is they're all so used to being the man. Right. And, you know, we talk about this in the NBA all the time. You know, you have a, you know, a, a, an A player, a B player and a C player. And if you have three players, you're really, really good. Well, and you can argue whether these guys are A players at this point in their career or not. But in their minds, I know this. They're all still A players in their minds. Um, so to me, that was why they were the most intriguing team to watch to see how they worked that out and uh, to see how, you know, the coaching staff and Billy Donovan put them in situations to come out, uh, you know, to be able to figure it out and deal with it. But the thing is, in the fourth quarters and late in the games, um, it gets it gets hard. Um, you know, in okay, who do you go to? Do you play matchups? Well, then, you know, if it, it and as long as it works out, it's great. But now you're seeing a thing that even makes them more interesting is it hadn't worked out to this point. So with the personalities there, um, it's it's just it, it's it's a difficult situation because you know Paul George is used to being the guy, Russell Westbrook is used to being the guy, Carmelo Anthony is used to being the guy, and they're used to being the guys that they play through late in games. And once again, when things work, it's great. But when things don't work, then you start to get the little chinks that maybe you don't play as well together throughout the entire game because you're upset about what's happened in the last few games and teams aren't going well and the things aren't going well for the team, you know, and it kind of fluster. And then, you know, and I've found this, then all of a sudden now you start looking at the coaches and you start blaming the coaches and the, you know, and it just, I can just see it fester now. Um, you know, at this point, I, I know why they did this trade, um, you know, because they have to be viable in Oklahoma city. And, uh, but it's, I think they're now even more interesting than they were to start the season because they've gotten off to this poor start. Um, and will they figure it out? I don't know, but I, I know the longer this goes on, the less chance they have of figuring it out. Interesting. Really interesting. By the way, here's some numbers for you. Russell runs the seventh most ISOs of anyone in the league. Carmelo runs the 13th most, and Paul George runs the 16th most. Three of the top 16 isolation guys. What gets really eye-opening, though, is that Russell's of, of, the, guy, of the top 60 guys, 58 guys in isolations, none of them are actually that good. Russell's 25th in the league, Carmelo's 36th, and Paul George is the 6th worst. Paul George is just completely out of sorts uh, of who he is and how he's playing, and he was probably the traditionally most uh, efficient. All right, can, before we wrap this up, the, the last team I mentioned in that group of teams that differential's good is Utah, who lost Gobert, and since losing Gobert, the third best offensive team in the NBA, with a group that... I got to admit, I never thought Jonas Jerebko, Howell Neto, Tabo Cephalosha, uh, Royce O'Neal, and Joe Ingles would be part of a group that is the third best offensive group for any period of time. What are they doing, <laughs> and have they discovered anything for when Gobert comes back? Um, well, yeah, obviously they have. They, they've really hit a good streak here because two weeks ago when you watched them play, that you know you were really concerned about. Them. Um, you know, to the coaching staff's credit. 
um, to the players' credit, they, they've kind of figured, found something that's working for them. And um, I have had a chance to see them um, here recently. And uh, I, I think they're playing some of the best basketball they've played all year long. I saw them early in the year, and now I've seen them here recently. And uh, to me, the thing that uh, really, really stands out is, you know, Coach Snyder's teams are always going to guard, right? Um, I, early in the year, I didn't think they were guarding on the ball at, um, at the level that, that they have in the past. Um, there were a lot of straight line drives, as coaches call blow buys. Um, and I don't know if it was because they were just kind of knowing the Rudy was back there, um, you know, maybe default to that. I don't know. I don't, I obviously don't know the reason why. Um, but two things since that, that Rudy has gone out, they, they have defended on the ball much better. Um, at times early in the year when I watched them, I, I just thought, man, they're, you know, they're, they're not even really giving an effort on the ball. Um, but they're defending on the ball much better. And, um, I, I didn't see their last game, but I saw their previous game on Saturday. Um, they passed the ball at an incredible rate to each other. Um, and, uh, it was, it was purposeful passing and it was making not only the extra pass, but the next extra pass. And so now guys are getting rhythm shots. And I, you know, I don't think the league considers the jazz to be a, you know, a, a good three point shooting team. But if, if I, if I'm not mistaken, I think they're like the, have the eighth best percentage in the league at the moment. Um, and I think if you look recently, it's really jumped up. Um, and a lot of that comes from passing ball to each other and finding guys, um, you know, who are in a rhythm, you know, catch and shoot situation as opposed to a stagnant offense. So you know, those two things, one, they're guarding on the ball better. Uh, and, uh, two, uh, they, uh, they are, you know, they're, they're shooting the ball and passing the ball to each other much better. And, um, once again, you know, and obviously you can go into jazz for you know, a lot of reasons back to, you know, when they lost Gordon Hayward and, and now they've lost that. But the one thing that, you know, the, the organization has done is they, they, they try to bring in one guys who play with a pure heart and play the right way. And they try to bring in some tough guys. Um, you know, this is going to sound funny because if you look at them, uh, you wouldn't say this, but Joe Ingles is one of the toughest guys in the NBA. The casual fan would look at him and go, there's no way, you know, cause he doesn't have the big fisk- muscular build and, you know, the, the, you know, the look of that guy. But if you watch that guy play, he is no doubt one of the toughest guys in the NBA, uh, bar none. I would take him as in, in the conversation with all these other guys. Um, one from his intelligence, not just his physicality as well, but Joe Ingles, he's a tough guy. What's the world come to? The Australian? I always say he's an Australian football player that became a basketball He got too tall, so he became a basketball player. So, uh, you know, he should be, he should be playing, you know, a little rugby or, or Australian rules football and instead. Instead, he had to play basketball. Hey, it's a great lesson. There. There's, there's, there's a lot of hope for, uh, you know, not the biggest guys or not the most fizz, strongest guys in the world. As long as you got heart and got toughness, you know, you have a chance to go out there and make things happen because uh, he definitely has done that, and he's really helping that team. Coach, appreciate the time. Love the insight. Hope to talk to you sometime as uh, soon as we hit near that 40-pull mark that you talked about, and we'll see which of those shooting numbers held up. David, it's always fun. We didn't really get into any big arguments today either, so it's always fun to, to chat with you. Maybe I'm getting smarter. <laughs>